Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff here at the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder. And of course, Benjamin Schwartz, our production assistant, is also here. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on April 22nd, 2019. And before we get going, I want to invite our listeners to reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org. If you have questions or comments about the show today, or if you have anything you would like for us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. As always, you can listen to us on the go using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, however you get your podcasts. Just search for World Business Academy. And also want to remind everybody that we have that new weekly radio show, Solutions News. Send us a note if you'd like to find out how you can listen to that. And you really need some solutions right now because <laughs> the do. challenges are really kind of depressing. You know, my favorite line is um, the, the disease, the, the dis-ease, the disease of our time is cynicism uh, tinged with reality therapy because there is so much to be fearful of right now. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, there's this old uh, quote by a very famous guy, Satchel Page. Oh, uh, I love Satchel Page, yeah. yeah. And he said, uh, it's not paranoia if they're really out to get you. <laughs> and it's not crazy if you really are in the middle of a crazy situation. It is crazy. Okay, it's, it's not, it's, You're not crazy. The situation's crazy. And we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about the Mueller report in the context of the economy and the economic implications of what's not in the Mueller report, but which will determine the outcome of the Mueller report. So more on that later. But before we get to Mueller... I just want to say, we're going to ask you for a really important piece of feedback uh, on this show. Uh, we've been talking a lot here internally about how often to do this show. And up until fairly recently, I felt constrained that, you know, once a month, it's this, the news is just too old by the time we get to it. Uh, and if we get to the new stuff like the Mueller report, then we miss the stuff that, you know, came out three weeks ago. So we're thinking of doing this show a little bit differently. And we really want you, the listeners, <clears throat> to tell us what you want. So one option is we continue to do what we're doing, a one-hour show, once a month. Our delight, we're happy to do it. A second option would be um, a half-hour show done every two weeks. A third option would be a 15-minute show done every week. And what we would like to know is, which of those three do you like? And if you want to do a some combination, that's fine too. But please tell us which of those would work best for you. As you know, there are no commercial announcements in this program. There is no economic benefit to me or to the Academy for doing this. It's 100% a thing of service that we do for the public. So what we'd like to know is what you, the public, would like, because it's about serving you that is what we're, it motivates us. So if you could tell us that, I really appreciate it. Write to info at worldbusiness.org, info at worldbusiness.org, and tell us your preference. How often would you like to see us do this show and at what length? 
And uh, don't say one hour every week, because that we can't do. But we could do 15 minutes a week. We could do a half an hour every two weeks, and we could do one hour a month, or some combination thereof that makes sense. So please let us know what you think. And we always love hearing from our listeners what about ever? any topic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, so. the hardest thing to do with this show, frankly, is it's one-to-one, -one, meaning we talk into the microphone, but we don't know how it's landing with you. And whenever we get an email or uh, or a phone call, anything, it just like really makes our day because it gives us feedback on how we're doing and what we're doing. And even if it's something you disagree with what we said, that's okay. I'd like to know that too and like to know why. And then we can look into it to see maybe you're right and I got it wrong. Okay, so let's start today. And by the way, today's a very big day to mark on your calendar. The Supreme Court of the United States will today hear the oral arguments on whether or not the census can be expanded to request information on, in effect, citizenship as part of the census. Let me just tell you why the census is so important. It was enshrined by the founding fathers of the U.S. Constitution, and it was so important that adopting the Constitution in 1787, they immediately got to the first census in 1790. The, the idea of a census was so that the number of people in a particular congressional district would be routinely represented by the same representation, in effect, numerically, no matter whether they lived in a large populous state or a thinly populated state. So a state like uh, Delaware has one congressman, and a state like California has 40-something or 50. I don't know. It's a big number. This could be even higher. I've lost track as it keeps um, growing. I'll look it up right now. Yeah, but whatever it is. <clears throat> so every 10 years, in their wisdom, the founding father said, let's do a census to find out where, where people live and how many of them live there. And this was particularly important during the years of what's called the, the westward expansion, when large population groups moved from the eastern seaboard, where everybody was originally in the colonies, and started moving across the country. So it's been a very good system for a very long time. It's also used to assess how benefits can be deployed. It's used for the basis of computation of all kinds of statistical relations, which are critical to the functioning of government. So with that in mind, <clears throat> the idea of having a census is really a good idea. And the only purpose for the census, according to the Founding Fathers, is to find out how many people there are and where do they live. And they didn't limit that by saying, are they black or white people interesting? Because in the Constitution, if you were black, you did not get to vote. You counted as a three-fifths in the census, mm -hmm. not as a whole person, but you were counted. And that's an important concept yeah. because even a slave was believed to be important enough to count. Therefore, it would be argued, I would say, that even if someone was here illegally, it would be important enough to count. Well, it affects the services that you're receiving in your, in your town and how it affects traffic patterns. Everything. It, it affects schools. It, it, and if I mean, people get worried, children are also counted, by the way. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about the fact, well, if you count immigrants, does that mean you get more House of Representatives, representatives, because they don't do it that way. If, in fact, it is clear that the number of people living in an area is somehow distorted by some statistical equation, which I've never heard of, but if there were such a thing, they would balance that out. The goal is to find out where the people live and how many of them there are. It should not be politicized. It's yeah, not part of it's, it's not, not part of immigration question. policy. It's not part of anything. It's just a, a bare bones basic. Every ten years we do it, and it sets the table for the next ten years. Right. By the way, California has fifty three representatives 53. currently. See, I lost track when it was forty something. <laughs> but <laughs> I think California's population has been rising. Mm -hmm. Other populations have been declining, and that's part of it as people move around the country. And, uh, yeah, and by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if they pick up another seat or two. Yeah, Because we're now over, uh, we're yeah. either pushing or just past 40 million people from yeah. 36 million. Okay, so here we are, folks. And by the way, if Trump sends a bunch of immigrants to the sanctuary cities, let me go on record, I think that's a great idea. 
You know, there's a saying, even a stopped clock is right twice a day. Mr. Trump, you got this one right, even though you're like a stopped clock. Because if you send it to, and by the way, the Republicans won't let you because they don't want to pay to bust and fly those people yeah. to California. I love more employees in California. It'd be great. We could use it. We have a, our, our unemployment rate is very, very low. We don't have enough people to work in the fields. We don't have enough people to work in our hospitality industry. So, hey, bring them on. And if you say, well, they can't work because they're illegals, okay. But at least they'll be in a sanctuary city where people are going to treat them as human beings and they won't be as big a drain on society because we will take care of them. If, if those of us who want to treat humans as humans are allowed to do so, we will do so. And so send them. We'd love to have them. Those people spend money here, and that that's a big part of our economy is based on what people are spending. And Absolutely. I agree. I mean, so it's a, I don't see anything wrong with setting up a sanctuary city. I think it's, 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 it's all, and by the way, they pretty much go to New York as it is, and that is a sanctuary city. So I don't know what the story is New about. New York, Chicago, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about, yeah, Chicago. Wow, did we, have we talked about the new mayor of Chicago? In the last we, ha we didn't talk about it here. We did talk about it on our radio show, our, on our weekly, weekly show. radio show. Well, um, so for those of you who don't know, something very interesting just happened in Chicago. For a city being torn, as you know, by racial justice issues, and that's been well known, uh, coming of, out of the tenure of a very, very tough <clears throat> political operative, the former chief of staff for Obama, actually, who was the, uh, his name is Rahm Emanuel. Rahm, Emanuel. Rahm um, was the uh, mayor of Chicago. Uh, and this time, in the runoff, we had two black female candidates. And the one who won is not only black and female, she's black, female, and gay. So we have a situation, uh, her name is Lori Lightfoot, in, in a situation where <clears throat> one of the biggest issues facing Chicago has been how to deal with the racial justice question. The Chicago police appear to be a little out of control, quite candidly. The mayor, Rahm Emanuel, as strong as he is, was not able to bring that up around. The people in the city of Chicago, who a huge percentage are black, so it's, it's, it's not surprising that a black would get, uh, get to be mayor, but that a black female, let alone a black female lesbian, would get to be mayor is surprising. And that there were two black females who were in the runoff is even more surprising. And particularly when the third candidate who did not get into the runoff was... It was uh, Daly. Daly's younger brother, right? It yeah, yeah. Like that's a, that's, he would have yeah. been the third Daly mayor of Chicago. <clears throat> that's right. Okay. So it, it was a huge change for Chicago. And Daly ended up third to two black females. That's not only a story about demographics, which it is. It's a story about police brutality, and it is. But it's also another kind of story. It's a story about the fact that politicians seem to need to understand that strong, tough guys, and Rahm Emanuel certainly qualifies for that, are not what we're looking for right now. We're looking for human beings. We're looking for people to care about how do we deal with childcare? How do we deal about with, with, with health insurance? How do we deal with those of us who are in the least position uh, to deal with the ill effects of climate change? Uh, those of us who are the least able to have our, our house blown apart by a tornado because we don't have the funds to rebuild it. I think that there is a real yearning in Chicago's election, points this out, for people to be led by other people, regardless of their race, uh, their creed, their origin, or frankly, their uh, sexual preference, people are saying, we want humans to address the human questions and put that higher on the list than political calculation. So return to humaneness. Yeah, give us more humanity in our governance. Yeah. And give that to us instead of political calculations, and that's what Rom's famous for. Rom mm -hmm. Emanuel, Political calculations. Well, Literally. I chose that as my lead-in story because of the Mueller report. So I'm going to go on record really fast telling you, if you didn't hear, I'm sure everybody has by now, Elizabeth Warren called over the weekend 
for the impeachment proceedings to begin with uh, President Trump. And she did so in a very eloquent interview. She put out a tweet and then she did an eloquent, eloquent interview on uh, the Rachel Maddow show. And uh, what she said in that interview, I'm paraphrasing, of course, um, is we've now gotten to the point where the evidence is so overwhelming and it's in public view that unbelievable crimes and high, high crimes and misdemeanors have been committed by this president. And for the Congress to fail to act has no further possible way to be justified. Because if the Congress does not act to impeach under the current evidence, it means that the political calculation, oh, we might lose, is more important than the moral calculation, it is our duty under the Constitution to hold the president accountable. Mm -hmm. And that's what Warren said. It's like, we can't even ask what the Senate will do, the Senate will do what the Senate will do. It's the House that must act. The House must say, these are high crimes and misdemeanors. Let's have a hearing on it. Let's talk as long as you want. Let's get as many witnesses as you want. We are officially starting the impeachment process. And that would be so good on so many levels politically. I'll just touch on a couple, and then I'm going to tie this to the economics of the time we live in, because I'm going to tie it to your pocketbook in a moment. So the, the issue is, if in fact a political calculation is not what people want anymore, and that's what the story about Chicago is all about, if what they want is for the political class to begin doing their jobs. And remember, we never intended in this country to have a political class. It was thought that you would go back to your farm after two years. Citizens. You would be citizens. should be being right. our government. And you would rotate. And that way there would be the merchant, the baker, the, the, the fisherman, the farmer, all would take their turns as citizen patriots with a time in Congress or in political office. What we've developed, obviously, as a political class that starts the first time you run for office and doesn't end until you die. And you keep getting to different, different offices if you're lucky. Or are you going to do <coughs> lobbying? Well, yeah, that's <laughs> not leaving politics, just getting paid I more know, for the same thing. And <laughs> doing it less straight. Anyway, why is this important? Because a political calculation that this would hurt Democrats if the Senate did not convict on the impeachment of the House is the wrong question. It's the House's duty to get the evidence out there. It's clear that Mueller intended for that to happen. He did more than a roadmap. The roadmap on Watergate was about 58 pages. The roadmap on Trump is 400 and some 450 pages plus appendices. So it's a massive roadmap, with rich with witnesses, what they'll find out, records that will be there to be specific testimony, very specific testimony, mm -hmm. very specific records. So mm -hmm. in that examination of the evidence that Mueller came across, which Mueller concluded was appropriate for the Congress then to hold up as an impeachment issue. Getting that information out to the public in the context of impeachment, which is to say, if this is true, what we see Mr. Mueller has written, then this man is unfit to be president. I don't think there's any question that's true. The man is unfit to be president if what Mueller wrote is true. He committed obstruction of justice. He certainly colluded even if he did not technically conspire with the Russians. He certainly colluded them multiple times and so did his campaign staff. We need to educate the public that that's what happened. But we need to educate the public in the context of the inquiry is, is this man fit for office? Now, Let's say the Senate doesn't convict. The argument is made that this will only further enhance Trump's base to want to be more vigorous in coming out to vote in 2020. I got to tell you, folks, that's a crock. There's about 35% of the public that literally would watch, 25%, I'll say, 25 to 30% of the public will watch Trump shoot somebody on Madison Avenue and frankly would not charge him for murder. At least 25 to 30%. You're not going to change those people. You're not going to change their mind. They're, they're the, cult, the cult of Trump. 
They've <clears throat> taken over the Republican Party. There is no more Republican Party. I'm now quoting John Boehner, the four, last Speaker of the House of the Republican Party. There is no more Republican Party. It's the party of Trump now. So that 25%, roughly 30%, doesn't matter what you do. You can't alienate them, and you can't befriend them. They're just gone. There's another 10 to 12, maybe 14% that can swing one way or the other. And I'm going to come back and tell you that I think they're going to swing against Trump by 2020, and I'll tell you why. But even if they didn't, the total that he would have at that point would be about 40 to 42%. Right now he's at 36%. Why is that important? Last time I checked, 42% is like just a little over a third. That means two-thirds of us could actually elect the next president if we chose to. Why wouldn't we? And who are we going to alienate in, quote, the so-called middle? Because there is no middle anymore. Somebody's either in the party of Trump or they get it that this guy is unfit to be president. So what it will really do is enthuse the Democratic base to come out. It will enthuse first-time voters who think of how many young people there are who turned 18 between now and the last election. Mm -hmm. Okay. All those voters will come out if they think their government is honest and doing the job their government was elected to do. And the only way the government can do that today is they must impeach. Right. And that's why Elizabeth Warren so, is correct. So basically the political calculus that's running around Washington right now, it misses the point. Misses the point. Because the chaos and the incompetence that is written, in addition to the, the criminality, but there's so, so much chaos, so much incompetence that's been documented in that report in addition to criminal, you know, yeah. morally corrupt, moral corruptness and criminal behavior, which may not be prosecutable in Mueller's eyes, but it certainly is yeah. impeachable. Within 12 hours, <clears throat> Elizabeth Warren making that statement, mm -hmm. Lawrence Tribe, who many consider is the best constitutional lawyer in America, teaches at Harvard University. Lawrence Tribe, who historically up until then had said, mm, too, too soon too for dangerous. impeachment. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, it's time. time and he gave the same reason to Elizabeth Warren. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the imperative of the Constitution now. Because, it's not an yeah. option. It, it, it'll end up hurting the economy and our society in deep, deep ways. Well, it has. Ways. Not end up. It has. And we've got to stop we the bleeding. We have to stop the bleed. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to talk a lot about the bleeding in a second. But I, in addition to the criminality, obstruction of justice, that this president is engaged in. In addition to the collusion with Russia, the seeking of the assistance of the number one foreign enemy power against us, that together is not as bad probably as seeing the level of utter chaos that reigns in the oh, West absolutely. Wing. It's that chaos is, is the ship of state bouncing between um, one heavy financial donor to another like a cork in a bathtub with a kid swimming. I mean, it's just bopping around and you don't know where it's going to end. We're going to give you one example of that in a minute. That, to me, is a very interesting story. Here's why. Let's say that Lawrence Tribe and Elizabeth Warren are right, but it doesn't matter. Because the, po the political calculation that the Republicans are making is that Trump will be riding the back of a strong economy when he goes to the polls in 2020, and that's what will get him from the 36% he has now to the 51% he's going to need. Or he'll otherwise, <clears throat> otherwise get help from Russia and others to pervert electoral mm -hmm. democracy, mm -hmm. i.e. voting machines get tapped and he wins the electoral college and still loses the popular vote. <clears throat> that, and I don't think he can win in the electoral college the normal way that he did last time. I think this time he's going to have to win it by vote machine fraud, which is perfectly capable of happening. And it's as possible. we were talking before we went on the air, the whole federal agency that's in charge of cybersecurity is in yeah. complete chaos. They're in chaos right yeah. now. Yeah. Which, and saw EPA, that this morning. in chaos. Justice Department, in chaos. Homeland Security, in chaos. Yeah. Secret Service in chaos. So when uh, the court system, I would argue, is on the edge of chaos. So why is it that we have let this individual, Trump, for his own economic reasons, and we're not even talking about the emoluments clause right now. We're not even talking about money laundering. 
We're not even, which all of which he's going to get hit for. We're not even talking about <clears throat> the crimes he committed in the state of New York. We're talking about the chaos of the White House and how it's destroying America because we're allowing one individual to continue doing it when we have the power to stop him called impeachment. So to not rise up, and, and, and this, by the way, the impeachment clause, if you look everything from um, Madison through, um, you see, who else had a hand in that? I think Jefferson had a hand in that clause. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else were the primary. Hamilton was in that clause. The reason those three characters wanted the impeachment clause, they were afraid that some foreign power would get to the president. Mm -hmm. And they wanted a way to get rid of him without having committed a crime, if necessary, because they could not have a foreign power like France or England bring us back under control and then turn us back into colonies. That's why the impeachment clause is there. And the theory was the impeachment clause was there to give the Congress a check and balance because otherwise it would not be a co-equal branch of government. So we have three co-equal branches. The Congress is one of them, the executive is one of them, and the, Cong and the, and the, and the courts are one of them. If you don't keep co-equal balances between these three, you have, a, you have a complete collapse of the U.S. Constitution, which is what we're facing. So what the Congress has to do is say, if we're going to be a co-equal branch, and our, our duty, not our option, our duty under the impeachment clause is to bring impeachment proceedings when they are warranted, then they must bring those impeachment proceedings. Now, here's the fun part, folks. It turns out that what this guy's doing, Trump, is so bad for the economy that the Republicans are wrong on their political calculation. He is not going to be sitting on top of a strong economy in 2020. In fact, all the signs are the economy is not only slowing, I say we're going into recession. You've heard me say that before. Today on this show, I'm going to predict when it's going to happen. So what I've said before is by the fourth quarter, third or fourth quarter of this year, everybody will know what I know, which is that we're going into recession. We might not technically be in recession then for two reasons. One, you have to be in recession for two quarters in a row before it's called a recession. So obviously it can't happen before the end of the fourth quarter. And the second reason is the fourth quarter will still have lift because it's Christmas but it won't have enough lift to outdo the damage that's been done in the rest of the year. So come January, you're going to be sitting in the soup, meaning in recession. The first two quarters of next year, at the latest, will be called recession quarters. And by the fourth quarter of this year, everybody will know what I just said is true. There will be no more hiding it. How do we know that? So, yeah, I'm curious to, I'd love to hear some of the numbers, some of your argument there. Okay, well, I'm going to, in, in addition to numbers, <clears throat> look, at, look at the stuff that we've done to hurt the employment, the, the economy under Trump for absolutely brain-dead reasons, such as increasing the disparity between the wealthy and the middle mm -hmm. class with that last tax break, which, as you heard me say on the show, is not going to add 1.5. It's going to add at least $2 trillion to the debt or more. Okay, that came out of somebody's pocket, <clears throat> or it comes out of the deficit. So what are we looking at? Well, we're looking at a deficit that, according to Trump, was going to be, like he was going to be at break-even in year four, as I recall. The deficit now is running at, uh, where did I write this down? I just had this a minute ago at... Uh, 22.2 trillion. 22.2, right. As of today, it was 19.4 under Obama. So we've had a 14% increase in the deficit just in the, in the last two years, years just wow. since Trump took over. That's pretty ugly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a huge, a 14% increase in just two years of the deficit. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the debt, the U.S. debt right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that... that, that deficit that, is at, is at 935 trillion. Yeah. Student debt is an additional $1.6 trillion on top of that. Credit card debt is another $1.1 trillion on that. Personal debt is $18 trillion. And mortgage debt is $15.6 trillion. When you add all of that debt up, and by the way, folks, we're going to give you a site, which if you can stomach it, we're happy to have you look at. It's called the usdebtclock.org. And when you look at the U.S. Debt 
clock.org. And I urge you to just take look at it quickly and then turn it off because the numbers flash so fast and red ink. It can, it can, turn, it can give you a seizure. It can give you a seizure, I think, <laughs> if you have that sensitivity. Yeah, but I take a look at it and you'll see instantly how it keeps going up in all these incredible categories. Well, when you have that kind of debt and you have, by the way, the Federal Reserve just reported today in the New York Times, another example of what Trump has done. So <clears throat> the China tariff issue has been a significant impediment to not only the U.S. economy and the Chinese economy, but to the global economy. And it's why many people think Europe finally got pushed into a recession. So Europe's in recession now. And <clears throat> the, quote, trade war, close quote, that Trump launched for all the wrong reasons, because he continues to believe, God help him, what I mean, I don't understand why the man doesn't learn, but he believes that tariffs are paid by foreign governments when, in fact, they're paid by us as the consumers. But here's my, my favorite one. So just today, the Fed has released data that shows that when Trump attempted to help U.S. manufacturers by putting a tariff on washing machines, so I want to call that the Maytag tariff, mm -hmm. by putting the Maytag tariff in place, the federal government collected $82 million, according to the Fed, $82 million, that doesn't sound bad. The cost of consumer prices went up by $1.5 billion. Let me say that again. $82 million in, $1.5 billion out. Not exactly the best deal from the great deal maker. Not a good deal for the not American good, consumer. Not a good deal for the American economy. No. Okay. Some, some of those manufacturers might be happy for the moment. No, because you know what? Their customers can't afford the washing machines That's they're true. making. Yeah. Don't forget Henry Ford's famous dictum. They asked Henry Ford, why did he want to make cars so cheaply in his assembly line? And his answer was, because I want the people that work in this factory to be able to afford one of these cars. And if you aren't willing to make a product that the people who work in your factories can afford, you're going to be out of business sooner or later. Now, there's some businesses, I'll name them, Tiffany, uh, Moet Chandon, um, Hennessy, that only deal with the ultralux. And it's true. If you're in the market for a 200-foot yacht, nothing I said bothers you. Although it should, because when the economy goes down, it's going to be harder to maintain the payments on that 200-foot yacht. Well, not just that, but the pitchforks will come out at some point. That's right. In fact, who did, somebody said that recently. That was Ray Dalio, wasn't it? Ray Dalio. Yeah. That's right. Ooh, I'm a big fan of Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio just said, you know, it's problem with this wealth inequality. At some point, the peasants are coming with their pitchforks. Yep. And it's true. The peasants, you know, to me right now, the, the wealthy class... And they still don't have a message, by the way. The really wealthy class don't have a message. And I never understood this as a high school student. I never understood why would Marie Antoinette say let them eat cake? I never understood that. It's like, okay, you're the, you're the queen. You're living this incredible opulent lifestyle at Versailles. I mean, you, there is, it's, it's wealth beyond any imagination, right? And you know the peasants are starving. And they're all maimed from your wars that you've been having. And you've left them in the streets to rot. And there isn't enough bread really to feed. So the bread rides have already happened by the time she makes her famous statement. And, that, and why she says that, Madam Queen, Your Highness, they can't afford bread. And she says, well, let them eat cake. Because in the Palace of Versailles, cake was an option when bread wasn't available. Yeah. So the, the level of insensitivity the to the data. from reality. Total disconnect. Right? Mm -hmm. So what we've got is the top one half of 1% of this country with few exceptions, is operating at that level of disconnect. And where it's starting to show up is in every segment of the economy. So when I say the economy is going down because we just did this dumb trade deal with China, and when I say it's going down because <clears throat> trucks trying to get into the border now, uh, lawfully coming across the border from Mexico, are being, being delayed by hours and in some cases days because a whole bunch of people whose job it was that worked for Homeland Security was to inspect trucks coming in so the trucks could come in quickly, Huge amount of money comes across that border every single day. I mean, billions, probably 
certainly in the hundreds of millions. We'll, we'll check that out while we're on the air, actually. But that border has so much commerce going mm -hmm. on that to slow that commerce down by an hour or two or three is to slow an enormous amount of money in the pipeline. It's like gumming up the works. You're slow. It's like trying to drive your car with the brakes on. Okay. So when you look at the fact that the sugar high from the tax, uh, the, the ridiculous tax bill is behind us, when you look at the fact that systematically every single policy that that Trump has, uh, uh, and I guess got the number from 1.5 billion. That was right. Okay, I thought it was a billion. Every day. So 1.5 billion every day crosses, crosses that border. Crosses the border legally. So, legally. So why? Illegal stuff. Illegally, illegal stuff. Illegal stuff. We don't want to talk about. But yeah, yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, we don't get taxed. <laughs> but we tax the legal stuff. So 1.5. Why would you slow down? You know, do a calculation. Take 1.5 billion. Divide it by. Oh, I'm going to say. Two or three, which would represent an hour delay during a normal work day. And how many dollars per hour did that cost you? Well, the answer is going to be it's going to be around a couple hundred million dollars. Okay? So why would you give up a couple of hundred million dollars of economic activity, which when it gets to this country, ends up getting purchased by a consumer, hopefully, which then gives us the multiplier of five to one? Why would you do that? You would only do that if you didn't know what you were doing, which, by the way, is true. Chaos and incompetence. Chaos and incompetence. It rears what, its ugly head again. That's what Mueller said. Chaos in the White House is just unbelievable. And, and by the way, I want you to look at the people who are representing his, quote, economics team. The, I look at a picture of him uh, this morning, and, and the only thing that phrase that came to my mind was ship of fools. I mean, these guys are so incompetent. It's amazing to me that we are actually looking at something where the every single thing he does makes less and less sense. And by the way, I'm not even talking about the stupid political things like making love to Kim Jong-un so he'll stop testing rockets. He continues testing rockets, and you're still on like, oh, but gee, right. he's my buddy. Right. I, 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 I can't go there. You In know? the meantime, he's undercutting Canada and Taiwan Correct. and all these, you know, Europe, Europe right? <laughs> so, so what's happening is on all these fronts, so when you take, for example, the number of jobs, that were created in the first three months of this year. The average is like 100 and, uh, uh, 114,000. And if you look at the average prior to that, during the entire Obama years, all the way back, it should have been like 196 to 200,000. Actually, I think that number is low. It should have been higher than that. But that drop in half or more of the new jobs being created is an indication of a slowing economy. Mm -hmm. The restated fourth quarter Christmas sales from last year going lower, that's, again, the fact that the Fed has now lowered its official estimate for what the economy will do this year, and it will lower it again, by the way, until it gets more in line with ours, uh, because theirs is still too Pollyannish. They're still claiming 2.1%, I think, growth, and there's no way they're going to do 2% growth this year. So the, all of those factors together are putting in uh, worst housing starts in two years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, 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 it's like every place I look, there's like something bad happening in the economy. Yeah. And then I look and for somebody who could understand what I just said, and no one like that works in the White House. Yeah. Totally. And by the way, those housing starts and housing, the housing industry in general has been negatively impacted by the tax cuts. Yes. Because yes. he took away some of the, the, the benefits you would get for buying a house. It, it disincentivizes people from, from doing that, from buying a home. Well, that if they even have the capital. Well, there's to, that, and there's also the depressive effect on the middle class not having enough money. Right. that People can't pay yeah. off their college debt, so how are they going to yeah. leave home? There's a number of different factors. They're, they're all. I mean, that's it's, the point. It's crazy. It's not just that there's different. It's that they're in every direction. Yes. And as good as our economy was when this guy got in office, he's actually closing it down. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like you got to be 
pretty bad to do that, but he keeps shooting himself in the foot. So now I'm going to give you one example where I'm going to tie all this together. So I talked about the chaos in the White House as the biggest problem. I've talked about the fact they don't understand the economics of what they're doing. I've talked about the, the fact that this guy's up for sale, the highest bidder wins. With, and I've talked about the fact that the Republicans are making a miscalculation, and in fact, the economy is not going to be in good shape in 2020. And here's the example that proves all that is true. Something happened on Wednesday that was so massive, and I'm going to bet there isn't one of you people out there, or maybe there's one of you that knew this, but it's so massive what happened on Wednesday, and almost nobody in the United States knows it. What happened was this. If you picture the biggest technology companies that we know of today, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Yahoos, all of them have one thing in common. They could not have been possible without 4G communications. Okay, Every kind of mobile telephony couldn't happen without 4G. I would argue Amazon would not be Amazon without 4G. Mm -hmm. And clearly places like Microsoft would not be booming like they have. We see the impact of 4G in hindsight. Some of us saw 4G coming before it got here and we proceeded to build companies that would take advantage of it and did. And those are the companies that have become the standouts that I just mentioned, the Googles, the Yahoo's, et cetera. 5G is the new technology. 5G is here. It's not like a theory, it's, it's here. 5G will permit loading speeds probably up to 100 times faster than 4G, which means that the entire world is going to run off of 5G ultimately, just like the whole world runs on 4G today, because it's that much better than 4G. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the difference between turning a, a windmill to grind flour and doing it with an internal combustion engine. It's mm -hmm. like it's not even comparable. It's well, one of the it's dark a, ages. It's a, it's a whole new level of... It, it's massive. Yeah. It's massive. So if you could imagine what the world looked like before personal cell in 1970, before Google, Facebook, and the, and the like in 1990, if you could picture how different that world is from the world you live in today, every day, it's that times probably 10 with 5G. It's that big. Now, what did Trump do? Because of the financial muscle of existing large companies, typically companies that are the providers of uh, communication services, that would be AT&T, Verizon, et cetera, they went to the chaotic White House and basically said, gee, you're going to have to allocate spectrum for 5G, so go ahead and allocate the high band or the high spectrum because no one's there yet, and it's empty, and we can put 5G there. Now, the Chinese made a decision about a year ago. And by the way, the Chinese are already deploying 5G all over the country. And what the Chinese did is they said, we're going to put it in the mid-band, not the high-frequency band. Why did they make that choice? Very simple. To do 5G in the mid-band, you can have a very relatively inexpensive repeater station, like we currently have. Everybody's seen a cell tower, I'm sure, and what they look like, those little repeater stations. And you can space them dramatically further apart if they're in the mid-band because the mid-band actually will penetrate leaves, it will penetrate through uh, minor obstructions and work around it and get the signal to you. High frequency doesn't. So the only way you can get high frequency to work is if you put multiples of repeater stations out and they have to be really close to the people using it. Yeah. So Building out those towers, huge yeah. infrastructure project. Talking $400 billion, minimum. And we're not going to put $400 billion into this. Mm -hmm. he's, he's expecting private enterprise to do it, but private enterprise won't do it because... If I'm if I'm the supplier, I'm Verizon, and I got to put out 
500 cell towers to get the economic benefit I get from 10 cell towers today, guess what? I'm not going to buy them. No, and and if if they do that at all, they'll they'll just cater to their existing customer base. So they'll do it in the in the urban centers where they have enough customers. They, it might they may they might not even do that because see with tall buildings it gets even worse. Mm -hmm. So it, it's entirely conceivable you'll have is clustered 5G. So clustered mm -hmm. 5G would be like um, here in we're in Santa Barbara, so UCSB will have a cluster, right? Because it will need it for its research. So you'll have one 5G tower on top of UCSB, and I got to tell you, I'm, how far are we from here? About 15 miles from UCSB? We won't get it here. Yeah, it's about 10 and 11 probably from the actual campus. Is it, still won't get it. No. 10, 11 is too far. So. Well, there's lots of trees in the way too, by the way. Well, but even just and, distance. And some hills. Just distance. Distance alone. So why did he do something so profoundly stupid as, as say, we're and he just dedicated on Wednesday, it's going to be in the mid-band, which means all of the U.S. technology, for legal reasons, must use mid-band. All of Chinese tech, I mean, uh, he's going to need a high band, high frequency band. All of Chinese are all mid-band. It's already set. It's happening. They did the right thing. They're going to completely skunk us on this one. So all of the money we've been making through Silicon Valley for all these years, a huge chunk of it had to do with the advance of communications technology. Not all of it, because part of it was making chips. But if you don't have the product to put the chip in, the chip maker isn't going to be here. They're going to be in China. So what we have just done is just we've just given away the next generation of economic activity. And that will come to, to, to fruition starting in about 2020. Everybody's going to know what I, I just said. They don't know it today because it's 2019. They're going to know it then. They're going to go, oh, my God, our economy's going south and the future's 5G and we're not even in 5G. Oh, and our best trading partners were Europe's and they're in, they've been in recession for this point at about a year. Oh my God, the Indians are doing fine at 7%, but the Chinese have never been able to go off of a three, three and a half percent growth rate, and we're in recession. All of those negative income factors are going to affect Trump in 2020. And my point of all this was, for a decision that stupid to get made, and by the way, the reason that you will hear quoted, which is not a good reason, is that you will hear people say he gave, the military in the U.S. many years ago grabbed the entire mid-band close to it. And rather than figure out, like a smart leader, wise leader would, what's the best for today and for tomorrow, and work out an agreement with the military, which is what the Chinese did. They said, look, we're going to restrict you to half. You're going to have half the mid-band for military and half the mid-band for commercial, for civilians. We could have done that. There's, there's no military application in the mid-band that we could not have squeezed onto half the mid-band. And, and so he said, well, I'm doing it because the military needs that band. Well, the military needs no. some of that band. The thing that's interesting is that this is actually going against some of the most prominent Republican leaders uh, of the past. I think Newt Gingrich and Karl Rove were very much supporting uh, an effort to have a nationalized 5G using that mid-band range. You know, you have to use uh, mid-band. You, you have you to, a choice. But, but and that's that's what the utility commissions are saying. That's what the CTIA, who's the cellular uh, group, they're all focused on how to build out 5G at the mid-band level. But uh, that's not what they're doing. No, and to quote from this article in Energy, I think it's in Energy Magazine. I think that's from Forbes, actually. Is it from Forbes? But, okay, from yeah. Forbes. This, this article is great. So, this month, at an event at the White House, President Trump said he wants the U.S. to be the leader in 5G infrastructure and technology development. He just made it the loser. Right. Well, he and I don't think he knew the difference. Yeah. But <laughs> it's all he, he's all about rhetoric and hype. Yeah, and and he and he said, there's such chaos in the White House. Nobody with the intelligence of what I just described was able to get a word in edgewise. So there's nobody like me there for sure. And so who's talking to him that could give him what he really needs to know as opposed to what he wants to hear? And the answer is nobody. And the Mueller report says, in incredible detail, the White House is in chaos. 
And what I want people to understand is when the White House is in chaos, your pocketbook is in trouble. Mm -hmm. So that's how I get back to where I started this show. Yeah. What's important for you to know, folks, is that the negative commentary on the economy, which we've been giving you for about a year and a half now, and you notice how the economy keeps sliding down, and we said there'd be a sugar high from the tax things, but it would pass within six months to a year max, it passed within nine months. And what we're now, we're now dealing with is an economy that's gearing down with debt levels that are gearing up. The inflation rate is under control, and I think the reason it's under control is because the economy is gearing down. Yeah, and nobody's being able to spend much. Yeah, and I think even the, even the Republicans didn't want Trump to name Herman uh, Cain. Yeah, well, he's, off, he's out of the running no, but, but, yeah. but to name Herman Kahn, was that the Kahn? Cain, Cain, Herman Cain. Right. Yeah. To name Herman Cain a Fed board of director, I mean... It's bonkers, it's actually. Bonkers. And Steve Moore, Another I got to <laughs> tell you, it, 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 nothing personal. But when you're as dumb as he is, you shouldn't be on air because every time you open your mouth, you look stupid. And it, it doesn't matter because Fox will keep paying to be on air for the time being. What I'm seeing happening, and this is my conclusion that we're going to move on to something else, is the amount of damage Trump has done to the White House and the chaos and the damage he's done to all the institutions of our society, the EPA, the Secret Service, the Justice Department, the FBI, the intelligence community, Homeland Security, FERC even. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Federal Energy Reserve Committee. When I look at all this chaos in the White House and I look at the chaos in the economy, what it tells me is people, and I think Trump's one of these people, thinks that no matter what you do wrong, the economy is so strong it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. It's just not true. The economy is like everything else. And when you really make a mess, you really make a mess. And if you make a mess the way he's doing, which is structural changes, it's really hard to pull it up. Very out. hard to clean up. Very hard to clean up. And it's going to be, not only is it going to be expensive, it's going to be time consuming. And I will stand by my prediction that the recession we're going into is going to be the worst since the Great Depression at a minimum, which means it will be worse than 2008. And we're going to be doing that at a time when the derivative markets are booming again, which is unfortunate. Uh, there's a separate side deal, folks. If you didn't notice, it got made about a month ago between the U.S. and Britain to leave derivatives trading in London if the Brexit occurs, which is interesting because securities markets generally are moving to Paris and to Brussels. And the reason that's in place is because if there was a hiccup in the derivative market, oh, by the way, Europe's agreed to that, because if there was a hiccup in the derivatives markets, it's like the whole world's toast. That's the financing system behind the financing system. Okay. Okay. So we're sitting in a situation now where the Fed's being mongrelized by these silly appointments. He's pounding on the chairman of the Fed, who isn't exactly the strongest guy in the world, to counter policy in ways that won't work anyway. It's I mean, Jerome Powell. It's Jerome Powell. And it won't work either way, who he appointed less than a year ago. It won't work even if Powell did what he wanted, which was to start loosening the money, because we haven't got that much we can loosen. Right. So at the end of the day, he doesn't understand economics. There's nobody around him. I mean... We're already skating on the razor's edge. We're, no, we're, we, we're actually, if, if, I'm going to change that metaphor. Where we're skating on is where the ice is getting thinner and thinner and thinner, and we're going to fall in. You know, there's that uh, movie, that Christian movie that just came out, Breakthrough, right? Where oh, the yes, kid falls that's through right. the ice, yeah. right? It's the number well, three it, in the theaters this weekend. Yeah, so the, you know, the thickness of the ice is great, and when you get to a thin patch, you fall through. Mm -hmm. And in the economy, the thin patch will be defined by, first you'll see it happen with a significant stock market movement. Now, let's just talk about the stock market. Have you noticed how sideways it's gone? Mm -hmm. When the stock market's up 200 points or down 200 points, it don't mean nothing because that's basically less than a point. Flat. Percentage. It's flat. When it's up or down 14, I'm going to look right now just for the heck of it. 
How much is the market up or down today? Okay, the market today is down forty-eight dollars $48 out of twenty-six thousand five hundred eleven. Okay, so. okay, which is nuts. Okay, nothing. It's meaning it's it's statistically insignificant. Mm -hmm. It's not up or down. It's been doing that for days and days. And the reason is they were hoping the earnings reports would give them something else to talk about. It didn't. Then they were hoping that Trump's spin using the attorney general as a shill would buy consumer confidence, bring it back in, bring people to go spend again. It's not. So we're now in a situation, I think we're in the, in the uh, certainly the sixth or seventh inning in a ball game that ends we, that we lose. Mm -hmm. And uh, to use the metaphor of the ice, we're at a point of the ice where it's barely able to hold our weight. Mm -hmm. And if we weren't going it over, if we weren't skating quickly, we'd fall through. You know, it's funny when you skate rapidly across thin ice, it doesn't break as quickly because you're moving too fast. You're moving, yeah. <laughs> but if you stand still on that same thin piece of ice, you go through. So I see this coming on, and, and I see the complicating factors all around us like Brexit, like the clear demonstration. And if you didn't see the, t the story on 60 Minutes last Sunday, you should look it up. It's stunning what the, the geniuses at Microsoft in the cybersecurity division of Microsoft did with the U.S. government to be able to pinpoint how Russia was using cyber hackers who are basically criminals making money, making hundreds of billions of dollars, how they use them as an arm of the Russian state. And what, what one of the graphics that I'll never forget they showed on 60 Minutes is they showed how the original target computer in Omaha was the first Russian computer they targeted with this particular malware. And then they back up and they show a red dot for every computer that is affected by it. And basically the entire United States is red, all of Latin America is red. Yeah. Europe's all red. And the only place we don't see red dots is Russia. Go figure. Interesting. It's like a pandemic. And you yes, have patient a, zero, and you can actually see the yeah. how it spreads. Exactly. And that's what they did in 60 Minutes. And and what the conclusion was, which is which is coincides with the Mueller report, is that Russia has actively been building what they, they their euphemism for this four years, five years ago was asymmetric warfare. What mm -hmm. they meant by that was using cyber warfare as a tool of state policy. And so what Putin's doing, and I think it was Leslie Stahl doing the interview, she said, well, what you're describing is a criminal state, mm -hmm. a rogue state. And he goes, yeah, you're talking about criminals being the direct employment of the head of Russia. She said, well, do you think Putin himself is doing this? He said, absolutely. Got to be Putin. So you're talking about a state, Russia, which is a tiny fraction of the size of the US, of California. I mean, I think Russia's like the 13th economy in the world. We're number six or five. We're number five we're Number now. five right now. Yeah. And so this is a tiny little country. And what it's doing is it's stealing hundreds of billions of dollars. The oligarchs are loving it. They, they repatriate 50% to Putin in his activities. And then they pay for all the stuff that Putin wants done that he doesn't want to put on the Russian tab. So that's how, that's what Mueller found out in the, you know, the oligarchs playing for that, that was the, hacking. the first the first half of the report yeah was documenting that yeah yeah so so here we are with an economy that's trending down what do you folks do about it what do i do about it well i continue to advise stay current with your cash if you know how to buy rotate if you know how to buy a monthly t-bill and you're willing to rotate it every your broker will rotate it every month you can earn 2.34 percent on a monthly t-bill on a monthly t-bill yeah three months 30 30 days so if you just roll that over every day until the crash happens, it'll make 2.34% in a world where inflation's running at about 1.2%, 1.5. So you're running twice the level of inflation. Great, no, but a safe place to hide with this much stuff going on. 
Uh, I continue to believe that you could own gold and you will come out in that. Uh, you'll, you'll come out just fine well, in gold. I, I think I saw somewhere that U.S. is actually buying more gold now, too. Well, almost everybody is. It's yeah. not happening very quietly. Most, a lot of countries are, yeah. are upping their gold reserves. Yeah. And that's after the nation of India, which was the, one of the largest, if not the largest buyer of gold, made it more difficult to buy raw gold. It's a long story, but India had this policy where if you brought the gold in as jewelry, it, it was way to save money and you didn't have to pay tax and all that kind of stuff. Long story short, they changed it. And so now India is importing less gold because people aren't able to take it and afford it. Yeah, jewelry. So so we've got all these countries buying it. In fact, I heard that a big fight is now happening. You're going to love this. I love Italian stories for obvious reasons. But Italian stories are only half serious, like half humorous. So I, I don't like the current government of Italy. No secret. They're a bunch of neo-fascists at best. And they're troublemakers, and they're, and, and they're anti-European and everything else. And they just started a fight a couple of days ago, maybe last week, I guess. Because Italy has a lot of gold. It has like $100 billion in gold, something like that. And the government wants to get it. They, their Fed controls it like our Fed controls our Fort Knox. And they're going, $100 billion, that's a lot of gold. We can do a lot with $100 billion. Let's, let's get the gold. Not thinking that the gold in the bank is what pins their, their economy up. Right? Now, could they grab the gold, sell the gold, and do $100 billion worth of benefits for their economy? Sure. But then they wouldn't have any gold. So, you know, if I went and sold all my gold, I could buy a Rolls Royce, but I'd rather have the gold, frankly, right now. So gold is an issue. There are other issues you can do. Um, but yeah, that, by the way, that was, that was a question that we did get from one of our listeners. What? Uh, so what is, it's not time to go back into the stock market. No, 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 no. But what, sh what, are, the, what are the smart investment strategies? I mean, yeah. you said the, the, the short-term treasury bond, uh, one month, that's, that's one. But what else? And gold is another one. And uh, Yeah. You could get into a high-paying, reliable dividend stock and probably generate 5 to 8% return. Hmm. The trouble is that stock could easily drop precipitously. More risky. So you want to pick a very solid dividend stock where the risk of substantial, meaning 25-30% diminution in stock value, wouldn't be a factor. So it has to be shored up by something real. Yeah, it has to be shored up with real earnings and real mm -hmm. cash. And so um, when you do that, you'll get there are not that many, but there are choices out there. And that way you'll be owning something that's paying at seven, eight percent, whatever for as long as you got to hold it, provided they can keep making their dividend. Now, let me give you a caveat. The smartest investor in the world is supposed to be Warren Buffett, and he lost uh, $2.7 billion on what should have been a sure thing when the merger of Kraft Foods occurred with Kraft and uh, Heinz. And uh, the company that did that merger, 3G, is was considered one of the leaders in the current round of how to make money with private equity, because their, their, their formula is very simple. 3G goes into... A, basically a really good brand. So that would be Kraft Cheese, uh, uh, Heinz Ketchup, okay. really good brand. And they made the assumption with every company they did, the brand is strong, people will keep buying it. So what we can do is go in there and we can whack out costs, give less money to the customer, meaning raise our prices or keep them constant instead of passing the savings along. And the, that difference we can share with the share owners and we can pay ourselves a whopping amount of interest on our debt. So that's called the leverage buyout. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's kind of a leverage bio merged with austerity thinking. Spend less, okay. but don't give more in, in benefit. Right. Um, so the Kraft merger is now turned out to be a, a multi-billion, it's like a $12.5 billion right now already. 
because none of that works anymore. What, what they found is they can't keep selling the same amount of ketchup and they can't sell it the same way. So the markets are changing. So Amazon distribution, Walmart distribution is far more impactful than selling to the local grocery store. Uh, number two, people can't continue to buy the brand no matter what you charge for it because they're running out of cash. Right. Number three, everybody's doing generics. So you go, you go, even an organic. Yeah. You you go to you go to Ralph's. They got their organic house brand. You go to you know Big O. I think is Safeway's organic house brand. Kirkland, so, you know, Kirkland, the Costco. Yeah. So they all of them. Well, and Kirkland has two kinds of house brands. They have the house brands that's not organic, and house brands that are. Right. But but Kirkland is a good example also. Right. So when the distribution system changes, and people can get the same product or almost identical product, if not identical product, for less money, they will go there rather than go to. Oh, I like Kraft because it's my favorite cheese. Whoop-de-doo. And you've got also you've got changing tastes in the middle because people are increasingly asking for a more natural and organic Right, food. exactly. Anyone who's got the money is going to spend those extra dollars yeah. on buying something which is healthier, cleaner, you know, yes. better for you. A similar argument was made to me about three or four years ago when I was really applauding Indra Nuri for the way she was running Pepsi-Cola mm -hmm. and t taking as fast as she could out of... Uh, brown fizzy sugar water, Pepsi-Cola, right, right, and out of salty nutritious. snacks like Frito-Lay corn <laughs> chips, and was going, we got to do something smarter than that. And so she got into water, Coca-Cola followed yeah. into water. They both make more money on water than they make on Coke at this point, I think. But the bottom line is, an argument was made to me back then, about four years ago, yeah, look, people always drank Coke, they're always going to drink Coke. Don't worry about Coke. And I said, no, Coke is being mismanaged. The quality of management of Coke is terrible. Pepsi is being managed well by Indra. And now, three, four years later, the evidence is obvious. Pepsi has outperformed Coke significantly. Now, what else do we want to say? Well, we want to say that the consumer confidence has fallen again from 98.4 to 96.9. Uh, we can say that the uh, consumers are getting scared. Utel retail sales have fallen by two-tenths of a percent, uh, even though we were expecting a three-tenth percent rise. Um, we can talk about the... IRS sent fewer dollars in tax refunds. Yeah, by like $6 billion. Yeah, and by the way, everybody who's thought they were going to get a freebie on the tax bill and, and, and right along with the rich people got a big surprise. Mm -hmm. The rich people did just fine. Everybody else didn't. And now they're finding that out with the way they go to fill out their taxes and there's no refund there. Um, we talked about the debt and deficit. We talked about a little bit about the Fed. We just touched on Brexit. I, I shouldn't have said it a little bit more about that. I think the October extension on Brexit is a good thing. It gives them the time to do something rational. The only rational thing to do is have another plebiscite because now that they know mm -hmm. that Brexit is yeah. that stupid, they should vote it out. Yeah. And the idea that they voted once for it, not knowing what they were voting for, no reason not to have and another I vote. Think, and I think it's interesting. Like I, I don't know if you've been following the news, the Extinction Rebellion protests right now. There's been more than 1,000 people who've been arrested. Yes. And, uh, I mean, I just think that the tenor in the big cities in, in England is, is very different than it was three years ago. Right. And I'm going to add one more thing now, because we're almost out of time. We're almost out of time. Bill McKibben came out with a new book. I think it's called uh, Falter. Yes. And uh, Bill wrote a book 30 years ago. Mine came out about 20, 20 years ago, 20 some years ago. Bill wrote um, his first book on, gee, we're going to have a problem on this thing called climate change by the end of the century. His new book, Falter, says we're going to have a problem and it's much closer to my uh, predictions, which are that you're, you're not going to get to the end of the century. Yeah. We're, we're not going to get. It's not happening. Near. We're yeah. We're you know. Twenty fifty, uh, it'll be a whole different world than. Yeah, because by twenty thirty five, you're going to see the handwriting on the wall 
by 2050, it's already going to be executing itself. Mm -hmm. We'll be in chaos. Could be even civil violence by then. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, so McKibben was on um, the Fareed Zakaria show doing a great job of talking about how we have faltered and that we are possibly, and I would say we are past the point of no return. As you know, I think I have some solutions that would save human civilization. I hope somebody listening will take me up and, and challenge me to tell you what they are because I'm not getting anybody to, to bite right now. Uh, but at the end of the day, the climate change implications, let's just end on that. So if Trump's doing everything he can to shoot himself in the foot economically, as we've already discussed, and if climate change is now barreling down on us at massive rates, so that the worst tornado ever clocked happened in, um, in Mozambique, mm -hmm. um, you have uh, just this last week, you had you know, 50 miles of dikes wiped out in um, the Midwest. You had five states un completely underwater. Uh, as you were saying to me before we went on the air, Christy, the, the oil trucks can't even get the oil out of there. And those guys usually get oil anywhere. <laughs> they can't even drive. Well, the ethanol, is, the it's, ethanol, that's part of what they're saying is impacting California. Yeah, it's not, gas but prices. they're saying it. Anyway, the point is we, it, the Midwest is underwater. Um, just this week, tornadoes ripped through everything from Texas all the way to the eastern seaboard. You're having climate events with such frequency yeah. that people can't even keep track of it. It, it. The new normal is is mind-numbing. Well, but you can't, there is no new normal because it hasn't settled yet. Every year no. is, it's worse. Every, every, month. every month it's worse. So here's the punchline. Who's going to pay for all that? And where's the money going to come from? And the answer is that's an enormous drag on the economy. A little bit of destruction is a good thing that forces spending. Mm -hmm. This level of destruction, very, very harmful because there's not right. enough money to pay for it. So economic activity will decrease as infrastructure gets further compromised. Now, you had asked me before we went on air, do I think there's going to be an infrastructure bill? I actually think one of the smartest things Trump could do would be an infrastructure bill. Do it fast because the Democrats would go for it. The trouble is, I, I, I don't think he's smart enough to do well, it. But even <laughs> if he does, it, it's not going to help him in 2020. No. It's too and, little, too late, even if it happens. Well, it, it takes a while. If you, if you said you're going to do it and you pass it through the Congress, this is April, say May. You know, let's say you can get it through the Congress in, in, in July, which I think is doable, um, before the recess, the summer recess, June, July, whenever they break. I forget when they break. So you did a fast track. And you, you put a decent amount of money behind it and say you're going to increase the deficit by even, you know, half a trillion dollars to do it, maybe even a trillion. To get that money into people's pockets takes a while because you've got to come up with what bridges are you going to fix, what roads are you going to widen, what trains are you going to build, et cetera. Well, infrastructure spending, is a, that's a decade-long project. In our case, multi-decade. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's not going to yeah. see the beauty a, of it is, a turnaround is surprising because. Right Every penny in infrastructure that goes to labor goes to U.S. labor. Mm -hmm. Most, you can require most of what goes in the way of materials to come from U.S. So if you really want to do a Buy America program, the best consumer for American goods is America. Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what are we missing here? Anyway, so that's my feeling about all the pressures. And I stop with the Bill McKibben thing because what Bill McKibben is doing is he's focusing us at a time when all I laid out all this other economic information about the economy going down. What McKibben's saying is, and on top of that, we're in a absolute climate crisis. And that climate crisis is starting to cost billions and billions of dollars we don't have, and it's going to cause us time to have to repair that we don't have. So in order to get the Midwest back up on its feet, you can't just wait to the ground dries, because in the case of the Midwest, the soybeans are gone for this year. Well, I right mean, between these, China yeah. not buying them and then the floods, yeah. that soybeans crop are over. is wiped out. Wiped out already, and that's the second, is that the largest or the second largest export crop? I think that's the largest export crop for the United States. Gone. So you can't do, you can't have all these terrible things happening to you, and be shooting off your foot 
and have a ship of fools for your economics advisors right. and come out okay by 2020? The answer is you're not. So folks, if you want to vote your pocketbook, you better get some sanity in the White House <laughs> and get rid of the chaos. Yeah. And I don't know what else I can say except, boy, oh boy, it's getting tougher and tougher to protect your nest egg. Right. So stay tuned to this program. That's one of the reasons we're offering to go weekly or bi-weekly. I'm thinking it's going to change that fast. Yeah. And since I really care about the people who are listening and I want them to preserve their nest egg, I really, really hope people will take a great deal of caution as they proceed forward because we are in not just turbulent times. We are now in extremely negative times. There's this one quote. This is from an article about the, all of the Kudlow and the, the different economic yeah. advisors that are in Trump's so camp. And it's sort of getting getting the gang back together. You were saying the ship of fools. These are all folks who were involved with the supply side economics. And yeah, uh, that it, was sort of the start of the... The, the differentiation between the wealthy and the middle classes. That was the beginning of the killing of the middle class. Yeah, yeah. The tri it's called trickle-down trickle economics. Down, and I wrote a really good column on that. Yeah. Where which, I, which, we should probably where I talked republish that. But yeah, you know, why don't we? Because yeah. it was really good back then. And, yeah. and, and what it talked about is trickle-down never did work and never no. will work. But I love this quote. This is a, a, a good friend of Larry Kudlow, um, who he calls Larry Cuddles Kudlow, who yeah. he went to the son's wedding. Um, he's a fund manager. But he's not impressed with the predictive power of this supply side economic group that no. you know he's a part of. He said the core foundation, the concept of supply side economics, at least based on the empirical evidence, Cass said, is something between no success and a disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, no success would be a win right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So. Would be better than I expect. So with that happy thought, my dear friends, I leave you for today. <laughs> and please let us know if you want us to increase the frequency of the show. And if not, we'll talk to you again in a month. And um, hopefully by then we'll have more tea leaves to read uh, and more ways that you can protect yourself in times that are extremely negative. With that, I'm sorry to end on a negative note. The good news is if you subscribe to Optimist Daily, you'll at least have two minutes every day of positive thinking to help offset what I've had to tell you today. So... <laughs> And listen to well, listen to Solutions News. Even better. And where we only talk about things that we also can offer solutions on. That's right. We don't have a solution, we don't mention it. Thanks very much, everyone. Have a great the rest of the month, and uh, we'll see you soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.